1: what we started last tuesday so uh, bear with uh with us with uh trying to get back on track with our schedule i'm going to read from john's chapter but first i think uh it's appropriate to start off with uh the buddha's words on the first noble truth the noble truth of uh, stress. Now this monks is the noble truth of stress. Birth is stressful. Aging is stressful. Death is stressful. Sour, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are stressful. Association with those loathed is stressful. Separation from the loved is stressful. Not getting what is wanted is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. I put that in there just, I I thought it was appropriate because in there you can see where the three marks float in there. And just talking with Sarah briefly before class, I think she can see in those words how she responded to uh, her loss this morning and clearly showing insight into the three marks of existence and even if it's not a perfect insight her understanding gave her not just relief but you know that understanding to what stress is. So uh, this chapter uh, deals with the three marks. I'm going to pick up where John basically left off last Tuesday, and then we'll get into a, a discussion. In order to understand stress and the ego self, we must first understand impermanence. Understanding impermanence is seeing clearly that all phenomenal things, including what we perceive as self, will sooner or later cease as an individual and seemingly eternal form. As wisdom as, as wisdom of impermanence arises, grasping and attachment ceases. Continued grasping after contentment and pleasure and aversion to what is comfortable or unpleasant reinforces the conditioned mind. The Eightfold Path interrupts the self-perpetuating nature of a conditioned mind. As Saraputta taught us in the Dukkha Sutta, This path is an auspicious path, an auspicious practice for the full understanding and abandonment of these three forms of stress, one of which is stress of change, impermanence, and the development of the moment-by-moment refined mindfulness. John continues, if it were not for the truth of impermanence, you cannot liberate yourself from stress. I thought that was really good writing there, right there. You would be bound endlessly to disappointment, stress, dissatisfaction, and suffering caused by your initial craving and clinging to phenomenon. The second characteristic of the phenomenal world, stress and unhappiness, is caused by ignorance of impermanence. Stress and unhappiness is maintained by the discriminating and discursive way conditioned mind reacts to the ever-changing events of phenomenal existence. Even the events of our lives that bring us happiness or satisfaction will eventually be cause of stress due to uncertainty and impermanence. Another way of describing the impermanence of all phenomenal things is that uncertainty is characteristics of all phenomenal things. We can never know what the next moment will bring. Ignorance of uncertainty allows for clinging, which causes stress. Wisdom is knowing understanding, and accepting uncertainty. We don't have control over these phenomenon. When we talk about the aggregates and us clinging to them, we want to control these aggregates. We want to manipulate them. We want to somehow make them ours when in fact they're just these things that make us up, but once scattered, you know they're just discrete. John continues, "Wisdom brings a mind of spacious equanimity." The third characteristic of the phenomenal world, and that self, is unique to the teaching of the Buddha, and per- perhaps the most difficult to observe and understand. The more conditioned thinking is, the more difficult it will to grasp the third. this third observable truth. If you look closely at what you normally perceive as self, you will see that there's nothing permanent that you can perceive through your five physical senses and interpretive consciousness, or your sixth sense base. This is, this is a kind of feedback loop or discursive thinking from wrong view or ignorant view you perceive yourself through contact with your senses as the perceiver and all perceived phenomena as outside of yourself. Therefore, you must, in fact, have a permanent and separate existence from the observed phenomena that appear outside of the perceiver yourself. This wrong view can only perpetuate wrong view. Ignorance can never lead to wisdom, only wisdom ends ignorance. The suffering caused by ignorance should not be ignored. But it should be seen that creating special of impermanent objects, events, views, and ideas due to phenomenal interac- interconnection perpetuates distraction and stress. <clears throat> Excuse me. Any further establishment of Anata, the ego self, in any realm to support any idea will only create further confusion and suffering as it encourages further craving and clinging. Anatta, the ego self, is maintained by craving and clinging. And John has a, a clever device he uses here. Much like a chair just deconstructed to its component parts it would no longer have characteristics of a chair. A human form deconstructed to its component parts could no longer be identified as human. The chair's identity is linked to all of its component parts coming together in a certain form. Identification as a self is dependent on this phenomenon as well. The human body holding a consciousness that is perceived to be the self is just empty of a permanent identity as deconstructed components. Since none of the individual components can be said to have a self, it is only the clinging together of these discrete components or individual aggregates that we say that the body houses a separate and unique self What the Buddha discovered upon his awakening with a quiet and well-concentrated mind is that all things are conditioned particles of energy that have coalesced into the appearance of form. Out of the formless state, we now have form, the seemingly separate forms that we perceived as are impermanent and absent of any self-inherent nature, including the form we perceive as I. After the Buddha's first sermon, Kadana declared, all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. And this is a good example of the first person after the Buddha who gained insight and understanding that what is impermanent is stressful and what is impermanent cannot be self. That is the insight that is gained by a fully integrated practice. John's words. It requires continued, ever-vigilant, direct thought to maintain the self-ego in an impermanent environment. This is stress. This is dukkha. This confused and diluted thinking can be refined and purified and bring relief from craving and clinging and develop lasting peace and happiness. Through the development of all the factors of the eightfold path, insight into impermanence, uncertainty and clinging arises Understanding how ignorance contributes to the establishment and maintenance of self develops the ability to abandon all views of self. And these aren't abstract, mystical, or magical, or esoteric ideas. Holding right view and right intention brings virtuous thoughts, words, and deeds. Being mindful of right speech, right action, and right livelihood, insight into craving and clinging is developed. Developing right concentration by engaging in right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation will lead to insight into impermanence, disappointment, and your ego self. Understanding impermanence, stress, and your ego self is fundamental to understanding the Dhamma and developing the Noble Eightfold Path. Through the heightened wisdom gained from the Dhamma, your practice of heightened virtue heightened concentration, the impermanence of all things is realized. Once impermanence is completely understood, the ego self falls away as insubstantial and unstable. As the ego self is abandoned through wisdom, craving and clinging ceases and stress and unhappiness comes to an end. With no impermanent ego self attached to stress, lasting peace and happiness arises within your once confused and unhappy mind. And we'll finish with some words from the Buddha. Just as in an autumn, just as in autumn, a farmer plowing with a large plow cuts through all the spreading rootlets as he plows. In the same way, my dear friends, the perceiving of impermanence developed in frequency practice removes all sensual passions, removes and abolishes all conceit of I am. And that's the end of the teaching. So why don't we go around the room? We'll start with our friend Drake. Drake, I always enjoy your your insight to the uh, the readings.
0: Oops. Oh, well, thank you. I try and increase the volume, but keeps making pictures instead. Uh, shoot. We can hear you. Okay. Um, Well, I appreciate this class and the, um, you know, the trying to understand the cause of dukkha, of clinging and grasping its relationship to a, um, you know, this kind of compulsion to establish a self and in our beliefs and ideas and um, desires and concerns about the past and memories of the or concerns about the future and memories of the past. I could see that process of, you know, mentally establishing the self going on all the time, coming back to the breath and, uh, you know, sati sampajana and mindfulness and clear comprehension. Like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? You know, kind of mindfulness of the body. And uh, and then just like the, the moments when they're, that when there's peace, you know, just appreciating that absence of the hindrances, and uh, um, so yeah, I I'm encouraged to keep going, you know. Just and so I read some today about uh, that virtuous action is um, like an antidote to malice and ill will, and you know, I see a lot of people are like have. Jobs it'll look very much fun and they're all laughing and feeling good and everything. because so They're doing something useful to help others. Um, so, uh, and then that, that the concentration can be a, you know, to calm the lust, the craving and, uh, and then, you know, developing insight can help alleviate delusion. So, uh,
2: uh,
0: it's uh but yeah luckily the the dhamma produces rewards even though doesn't seem to be any end in sight as far as the arising of dukkha goes but uh it is definitely better to um you know have faith in the practice of mindfulness have faith in something so simple just to come back to the present moment and be in a place of honesty and Committed to non-harming them.
3: Mm.
0: (laughs)
1: When you're describing understanding the three marks and, you know, I've heard you use the word faith before and I would just replace it with the understanding Mm. of, of the, what dukkha is and it's unavoidable, but understanding it is, the, what I see as the, the ultimate benefit of, of this practice is that I can't do any harm to anyone else if I understand the origin of stress. So thank you, Drake.
2: Thank you. Let's
1: go over to my, my friend, Jane. Hi, Jane.
3: Hi, David. Thank you for the teaching um... At the beginning, you said about um, having a meditation practice or having a mindfulness practice without the understanding. I work at an elementary school and part of the curriculum is the children for a half an hour a week, they go to a mindfulness and meditation class. And it has value in that for that half hour, they're still -er and become more aware of their breathing and all. But when they get out of that class, they go back to being these miniature egocentric beings who are very stressed and don't understand why they have to do things they don't want to do. They don't understand impermanence. I mean, so it just, you know, I just, it starts so young. I mean, this, you know, the the marks you know, the egocentric and... Mm -hmm. It's, which is why it's so hard when we're adults to, you know, to understand because it's that, that's what they are. They're just little, little egocentric beings. And
1: and now we've, John's talked about when can a, a child really start understanding like a practice like this and, you know, how we all wish we, Started earlier, and you know, to to connect these dots of the three marks, and then overlaying it to the dependent origination, and you know where our practice resides in that space, and then to have these insights that Drake described and what Sarah described earlier, you know, that's a integrated practice that you wish you could just hand to your children and, uh,
3: that's it. You've just wished that we could start it earlier, you know?
1: Yeah. And to understand that it, it's not two parts of the eightfold path that you need, right? that you need to integrate the entire eightfold path along with the study and the personal meditation mm-hmm. practice that you, you develop. And, uh, again, I said it last time, it's a lot, it's a big commitment to do this. And, you know, my wife and I, Mary, were just talking briefly before and, uh, any amount of meditation or thoughts of mindfulness certainly are helpful, but, you know, if you practice a little, you'll get a little out of it. If you practice some more, you'll get more out of it. But if you, you know, as lay people, you know, I I try to integrate it as much as I can each moment. And, um, you know, I just take the benefits of it moment by moment. So thank you, Jane. Thank you, David. Adam, how's your practice? It's going pretty good. How you doing, Dave? Doing well. Um, today kind of like, uh, cause I'm going through some rough patches right now. So, um, it's funny to see Drake without no hat on, <laughs> but, um, I've been going through some rough patches, so I'm trying to figure it out. I spoke to John earlier. He, he told me he was, um, teaching the class today, but I was excited to see you cause you, you do a pretty good class. Hopefully John's back Saturday, so he'll be tackling the, uh, the next one with some energy, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, kind of the stuff you said tonight kind of, uh, kind of goes to me, you know, I I kind of understand it, but hopefully it helps others too, you know? Just continue, uh, trying to establish your, your, your practice. And again, you're, you're part of our sangha and we can, get the benefits of everyone's input and their experiences. And, you know, again, thank you very much. Sure. Good evening, Jeff.
4: Good evening. Um, Yeah. Good class. Um, I was just thinking about Jane's observation of children being little egocentric
2: personalities
4: (laughs) and it's very true. And I've often, I, 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 have always held that adults are really just egocentric children and grown up bodies. Um, they're, they're children egocentric personalities that have even more practice now at being egocentric. And that's why it's so difficult sometimes to break that conditioned thinking. Um, and I, I wonder if it isn't started often by fear. as As adults, we fear the unknown or annihilation or the insecurity of not maintaining our conditioned ego self. And it's really, to me as much a process of letting go of the fears uh, as it is anything else. Um, maybe you can, you can speak to me a little bit about perception. I still kind of intellectually stumble on that concept. To me, it, I, I can't seem to quite make it fit into my understanding.
3: Well,
1: perception is your understanding of three or six cents space and in the context of dependent origination, it's driven by the ignorance and the fabrications. So, you know, these aggregates are you have to put them together to, for it to mean anything and really they're discreet so you know it's how you perceive the world and if you're perceiving the world ignorant of the four noble truths you will have delusion and you will have conditioned thinking if you have is practice based on the Eightfold Path, then the, the lack of ignorance will give you clarity. And what is perceived is just perceived. It's not diluted by this thing that you were describing of protecting this ego that you've built. You, you know the scene is just seen perceived is just perceived
2: those lines that uh, can you hear it? the lines that John wrote on, on my book page 179 about perception and the receiver are really insightful um, to me all of a sudden it, it knocked me off my socks um, <laughs> much <laughs> um, you know, if you... what you perceive through your senses automatically makes you generate this idea that there is a receiver. Mm-hmm. And that then necessarily needs to be a primitive thing. Um, and if you follow that thinking, um, and you can actually apply this to the other factors of the uh, five clinging aggregates mm-hmm. as well. And uh, it makes that certainly the first part of dependent origination a whole lot clearer. Now, all of a sudden we see how from our normal state of ignorance, we make the first fabrication, the first step and how that then cascades further on into them. It's, uh, it's a really interesting way to tackle um, both the five clinging aggregates and dependent origination. There, there is a c- very important kernel in there, in, in those two mm-hmm. lines. Uh, I, I, I encourage you to, to look at those and, and think about it and think about how one causes the other. Um, there's dependent origination right there. Um, so it, it's, it, that may give you a bit more insight on how, how perception works uh, in, in, as part of the five clinging arguments and, and what it does to your, um, the, the workings of your mind, basically because that's what dependent origination really is. It's the working on the mind. Yeah.
4: Thank you, Ron. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Uh, so it, so my understanding would be, I, I guess I'm thinking of the five clinging aggregates as independent, discrete things, as opposed to actually forming a unity that is creates the that creates the perception is that correct
5: um, that's what John he says it is only in the clinging together of the discrete components that we say the body houses a separate and unique self so you
2: hear that yeah, yeah. we hear it yeah yeah so,
4: so that, I think that's 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 for someone like my confusion lies as I was thinking them as independent, discrete items as
2: opposed to part of a. Yeah, a, they are independent in the unity, but we mash them together.
1: Yeah, we, we. An aggregate is the mashing up of these districts, yeah. and we cling to those aggregates, and that's where suffering resides. Mm-hmm. And you know John's example of the chair, right? Yeah.
2: You know,
1: the, it, you know when you throw those parts on the ground, it's not a chair anymore, right? right. And I guess the whole point is he's saying that this isn't a permanent thing. Impermanent. And, and uh, it's impermanent, and mm-hmm. you know the the, the sutta that we're gonna be doing at uh the, the next retreat is the Anapani Sata sutta. And uh you know they go through a very detailed uh you know section. Was that the Charnel grounds? Or is that the the satipatthana which which one no
2: the eternal ground would be uh, oh, uh that and again yeah.
1: you can make a whole you we know, have made a whole meditation out of that section but they just talk about how you know when we're dead we're you know, we're no longer this person we're just this yeah. body and then it's picked clean by the dogs and the vultures
2: it's no longer a chair
1: it's no longer a chair <laughs> I'm no longer a chair to make <laughs> sure <laughs> I will mix that metaphor in the yeah. so Yeah,
4: thank you. Thank you very much.
1: I can't wait to hear from
2: Brian.
4: <laughs> I'm gonna keep Brian for last. I'm gonna go to our friends. No. Sarah.
1: <laughs> Hi, Sarah. I'm so glad you joined us.
6: Yeah, it stood out to me. Um, in birth, there is stress. In growing old, there is stress. In death, or I would say even dying, there is stress. Um, and having just watched very closely, the not just the stress of somebody facing death in, in the moment um, leading right prior to death, but in those weeks, days, months leading up to death, uh, starting with that growing old, with um it's it's easy to look at a plant and watch it it flourish and then wane in its life than it is to watch that in a person um but in a person you can see the suffering and the travailing or with somebody who is accepting of the various stages of that decomposition part of our life um then then it's not so stressful. So the only difference is I'm accepting it or I'm afraid of it. Or I'm I'm I oh this is normal. This is a normal part of life is dying or this is a normal progression in the in the process of being alive. And so if 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 I have that perspective then I face it differently. Pain it, it I don't change the presence of pain in my body by being frustrated and upset about it. It's gonna be there. If I have pain in my body, it's there. But if I focus on that pain and I'm upset about that pain, I'm giving the power to that pain in my life and generating more stress and more dukkha, you know, more suffering in my life. So um uh, that's those are like uh, uh, fireworks of epiphanies that just are life-changing. Mm-hmm. And to see that progress um, leading up to the, the really the literal end of life, um, the more detached we are from whatever it is that we hang on to about our own life or about those around us, the less we suffer. In, in that process so it's pretty powerful thank you for the teaching tonight
1: thank you and you know the way you describe it you didn't talk about any regret in the past or speculating in the future you were truly present for the passing of your father and it didn't make it Any less painful, you're appropriately grieving, but I think this practice gives you the clarity to be present at that moment and truly appreciate the moment for what it is. It's just a natural part of all of our lives, and like you you were describing, kind of running away from it a good portion of your life versus. Actually, what the only definition I know of being present is what how you described it right there.
6: And the more that I can face these present realities just the same as when I sit on my cushion and do meditation and focus on my breathing, um, the more of that space that I have at uh, I when I have a memory, can focus on that and then I can I can cry and I can cry more and I can really get worked up <laughs> about it or I can appreciate that memory and then I can return my focus to what is present. These are the things that now need to be done. These are the arrangements that need to be made. This is my mother who now needs care or needs, you know, this help in this area or this is this is what's happening that I also have to do, and I'm much more than effective.
1: And and I think uh, the way Drake was describing and how how good Jen teaches mindfulness is just being aware. The clarity of just being aware that something has arisen and just knowing through our practice that it will pass. And that's just truly just being present. That's the reality, that's right view. That's what this practice is trying to get us to understand is this is reality. And pretending like it's not there or regretting the past or speculating about the future you know is dropping us of this moment
6: yes In my perspective is it going to be i'm a daddy's girl i've always been a daddy's girl and now what am i or is my perspective i'm a grown woman and my dad just passed away and so my present reality right. is <laughs> you know it's a, how you look at it
1: thank you so much hey brian
7: Hi, friend. Um, thank you for tonight. I um I got to spend some time with my 18-month-old granddaughter this weekend. And it was just fascinating to watch her bounce from one sensory input to the next sensory input. <laughs> right. She hits the chair and she cries, she gets a cookie and she's happy. And it's just this like we're born into this impermanent environment, right? Like just the fact that we were born, just like the Buddha says means that all of that impersonal phenomena contacting us throughout our entire lives is stressful by the very nature of the fact that we're impermanent. And she she doesn't even have an ego yet, right? Like she's, that, that doesn't come until you're six, seven, eight years of age, um, but you can just see that conditioning the subconscious that that will eventually turn into the ego, right? Like this isn't something like you go back to Jane talking about these little egocentric kids, this isn't something we get out of. Like, you, this is unavoidable fact of being human, that this is how we develop. And it's only through understanding and practice that we can develop enough wisdom and uh, understanding of our, our our nature that we can start to abandon all of this conditioning that we've been building up since birth. And that just That just doesn't go away overnight. That just takes time. So it's, it's in this environment of impermanence. And John, I think this is one of his best chapters, by the way. I hope you're listening, John. Like this is one of my favorites. It's
0: really um, well written.
7: It's very well written. It's very, it's, every time I read this chapter, right, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and just understanding that it's within this environment of impermanence, which is what we are. That's where the awakening happens as well. Because it's with, with that same mechanism, we can use that to our advantage. To get out of the stress and the suffering um and so yeah this this whole practice revolves around understanding these three things and that's that's the path of practice is leading to the cessation of stress which is leading to the cessation of the anatta. so thank you my friend
1: thank you and again i was talking to mary beforehand and we were the ignorance of impermanence or just we're trying to manipulate impermanence and try to massage it in yeah. you know that's the, the desire
7: the desire and the aversion, right? Like we're trying yeah. to manipulate something that we don't really have much control over.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
7: Uh
1: Ron. <sighs>
2: I don't really have much more than what i just said sure that was uh, great though because i'm still chewing on that and <clears throat> um, um and i'm gonna be chewing on that for a while because I'm, I'm um everything is is uh turning at the moment
1: and i think this this final class on this is so important taking it forward into the next couple of weeks with, yeah, the aggregates the, and the you know yeah, dependent origination.
2: Dependent origination um, to um, to see how uh, how the aggregates get born in in the moment. Um, that's pretty huge. Um, yeah, I'm going to be. Give me another cup, couple of cup, cups of coffee, and uh, <laughs> I'll get going on this. Um, there's a there's there's a kernel there in those two lines that is, I think, very important in, in for the next two chapters, uh, for the next chapter, um, because they're they're both um, complicated, and um, they require a lot of very thoughtful attention, um, and and I I've, I have struggled with them for you know as long as I've been here. Uh, <clears throat> that was the first the first retreat was mm. on that. <laughs> like, we right welcome up. to the club. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I look forward to you like tweezing that out. this uh-huh. those two lines and. You know, in the next few, yeah two or three it weeks'll
2: mm-hmm. be um, I'm going to be working on that a bit uh, not quite sure if I'm ready to to teach the, that chapter but um, I may I may volunteer for that I don't know yet um, I need to have some some space uh, uh, in in my days but we'll see um thank, thank you
0: thank you thank you. My
5: yeah, this chapter is, uh, I mean, I guess it's my second time going through this, but it's it can be very confusing. And, you know, for me still to just, maybe you can comment on this, David. Um, but there are certain things in here that I'm rereading and I'm just not getting. Like he says, look closely at anything with a form and you will find that it it is also formless okay without any permanent characteristics i get that but what has a form will also be formless out of formlessness form appears and then he says initially it is the desire for existence that the conditioned mind arises but can you just comment mm-hmm. kind of on this i know he's talking about impermanence
0: but
1: one of the cravings is for a permanent self mm-hmm. but that this aggregate of form is, of course, when you put the aggregates all together,
5: mm-hmm.
1: you think that's the self. But again, this chair metaphor mm-hmm. is is so, so good that
2: I it, guess it's just, it just it, it,
5: But when you're looking at like another human, it's like such a complex
2: they go back to the chair you know did the chair appear out of nothing no, no. It, it, it appeared out of the, the components, the
5: components yeah. yeah.
2: so that's a more formless part of the then coming form and then you know Uncle Ben sits on it and it's 300 pounds and all of a sudden the components are back to be more formless sure.
1: I <laughs> mean, again, your your, yes. your ability to control this form. I don't have control over this form. I, I am, I am dying as we speak. I, I, I have a, a thought that I have control over this form, but it, it, in it, it's my this it's empty. I, I don't have. Domain over this form, it's impermanent. Mm. So, for me to demand this thing to s- be me forever is—that's
5: oh, a good way of putting it. it like me looking at my mother and my father and demanding them to be, a, in my perception, a certain form. But that's mm-hmm. not real. That's just
8: my daughters
1: won't won't even uh, entertain. That I may pass in the next x amount of years, they won't. They won't even talk about it. <laughs> They're visiting me more now than ever. <laughs> <laughs> what twenty-six-year-old does that? But <laughs> I think they see that you know
2: yeah.
1: time is short, but yet they don't want to yeah. deal with the reality that this form is impermanent.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not just that you're getting older. That's hard enough, but. That one day, one day, form is not going to be available. Yeah, that's why I appreciated
5: what how Sarah was so eloquently saying. Because, it's like, yeah, the other day I spent, I think, maybe an hour because my mom went through chemotherapy a couple years ago for mm-hmm. cancer. And I spent an hour just looking at death rate statistics and like five year survival <sighs> curse. And I was like, um, how is this helping me and help her in any way or like it, it just takes it was ridiculous but it you know just takes you. time away from actually being present with her you know I'm just clinging to that uncertainty and that fear yeah, so, the
1: craving yeah craving for something to be different I totally than what lost my mind. I was yeah.
5: Like, okay, so. but, yeah good
2: teaching well, thank you Hmm.
8: Teacher
1: Matt. Thank you David,
8: really great class tonight. I really like what what everyone has been saying tonight. Um, And I wanna keep kind of riffing on this metaphor of the chair because the whole concept of chair is in its function. So, the whole concept of self is function. So, the five clinging aggregates, and thinking about what Jeff was saying, you know, that it appears two dimensionally as just this list of things. But in this psychophysical amalgam, that we that carries the function of self, which is this thing that relates and perceives and fabricates and you know is in the world, it belongs to impermanence. So the the psychophysical amalgam self is impermanent. its function in perceiving itself in relation to the world is impermanent. Birth, sickness, aging, and death of self is the definition of impermanence. And the maintenance of the psychophysical amalgam self is stressful hmm. because it's something that is based on its function it's like a chair like a chair i'm sitting in the chair if if the chair is scattered into its component parts then it's not chairing anymore sure. you know and it's, even the chairing
2: from the moment it is built, and the first time somebody sits on it, you're already diminishing the chairing part. <clears throat> Things are starting to move, right? And the decay is relentless.
8: Yeah. yeah. So this idea of of the self as as a chair, or 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 the the self as a a function that carries form, feeling, perception, fabrication, consciousness. Each of those component parts of self, form, feeling, perception, mental fabrication, consciousness, are reference points in impermanence. When they're all clung together, they're... representational of me. And then I'm really invested in maintaining that function, maintaining that uh, chair. And it's inherently
2: frustrating because you're trying to do something that you cannot.
8: Right. It, It can't be done. Um,
2: stress
8: so and that's stressful
2: stress frustration stress yeah I, I, and that's sometimes stress. i like to just call stress frustration yeah. it's, it's, uh,
8: mm-hmm. and that you know and that ties into what mm-hmm. you had said last time last week Ram, and, and then reprised tonight mm-hmm. yep. um the the attempt to solidify self as an object that is permanent like a chair is stressful and because it belongs to impermanence, is also stressful. Now, I think I'm just repeating myself. (laughs) So, thanks everyone.
5: Also to try to annihilate the like Brian was saying, he made a good point. We're like not annihilating anything or the mm-hmm. ego. Like to say, oh, if I had started this earlier, you know, I wouldn't be as egocentric. But like it's just understanding, you know.
8: Yeah, and components, and yeah, and I mean, I you know, I, I've been thinking about this, and over the years we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You know, Dharma practices Dhamma practice is for adults. It's not for children. Mm-hmm. Children don't need Dhamma practice.
2: Because they're they're building up that yeah. thing that we are now finally yeah. starting to get a crack at.
8: Right. So adults are in need of the Dhamma mm-hmm. to disentangle this function self that has been developed through codifying and stacking form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness into the story of I, only an adult can start to pull the thread of that. Um, that's my two cents. Pretty good.
1: So we, as we go into the next couple of weeks, don't put this one in your rear view mirror because it's important not to get overwhelmed by the aggregates and dependent origination. Always keep in mind the Four Noble Truths and this this concept of the three marks. And then when you overlay all that onto dependent origination, it, it's more digestible. It's it, it starts to become understandable, and it may take you one or a thousand times, but always keep the context of these chapters as you go forward into this this course, and you know go back and read this well written chapter uh, that that john presented and then when we get into dependent origination it, it will it will be helpful and again this is what the buddha awakened to this condition you said this mm-hmm. that dependent origination is the condition And the fourth noble truth prepares your mind to understand that and to replace ignorance with wisdom. So as Bahia did, that the scene is just seen. And that's that peace that Sarah experienced. So thank you, everyone. We'll do this uh, again Saturday. Hopefully, John is good to go. But we will end class, as we always do, with the Karanid Sutta. So find your relaxed meditation posture. And this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, Those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views. The pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Hope to see everyone Saturday. Take care. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, David. Thank you, guys.
2: Good
1: night. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That was great. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.